And I write about pacing in the book because it's a wonderful mm. way to get your brain to go into an alpha state. Mm. We, we get these aha moments when we pace quite often. Welcome to the Be Rad Podcast, where we explore ways to pursue peak performance with passion throughout life without taking ourselves too seriously. I'm Brad Kearns, New York Times bestselling author, former number three world-ranked professional triathlete, and Guinness World Record Masters athlete. I connect with experts in diet, fitness, and personal growth and deliver short breather shows where you get simple, actionable tips to improve your life right away. Let's explore beyond the hype, hacks, shortcuts, and sciency talk to laugh, have fun, and appreciate the journey. It's time to be rad. I want to discuss the incredible benefits of red light therapy and how you can get started with Mito Red Light. Mito, like mitochondria, red light makes the premier light therapy devices in the world and at incredibly affordable prices. I stand in front of my Mito Pro 1500 unit every morning, carefully exposing my eyeballs, other important balls, and my entire body to special wavelengths of red and near for red light. When I tell people about my daily devotion to red light therapy, they typically ask, does this stuff really work? And the answer is yes. And there are thousands of studies supporting its effectiveness. Here's how. It's called photobiomodulation where specific wavelengths of red and near-infrared light, red's visible, near-infrared is not visible, that's why it looks like only half of your panel's working, these wavelengths help mitochondria in cells throughout your body produce more energy and clear waste products more efficiently. Red light exposure helps mobilize nitric oxide trapped in the mitochondria and allows oxygen to return to the cell and increase ATP production. The benefits are proven again and again for skin health, muscle recovery, joint pain, and numerous inflammatory conditions. Red light therapy is also beneficial for circadian rhythm alignment because we generally get far too little direct sunlight and too much indoor blue light from screens and light bulbs at the wrong times. You don't hear much about this benefit of red light therapy, but when I turn on those lights, first thing in the morning. As soon as I wake up, I walk across the hall, I stand in front of the panels, and I feel instantly awake and energized. And believe me, there's a lot of days where Mr. Health Guy here wakes up feeling a little groggy and a little whiny, like I don't want to right get up now and get into my morning exercise routine. But when I stand in front of the lights, in one minute, I swear I feel wide awake. I get all that grogginess out naturally. It's super powerful, super effective, besides all the healing and the cellular benefits. I also love it for being a natural wake-up machine. You have to try red light therapy. I am certain that you will become a devoted user. And guess what? Mito Red Light offers a 60-day no-risk trial period and a special 5% discount for BRAD podcast listeners. Just visit mitoredlight, M-I-T-O, redlight.com, and use the code BRAD on any of their products. Go for it today and get started on your red light journey. Ladies and gentlemen, enjoy a most amazing and thoughtful show from my main man, Dr. Phil Maffetone. He is the pioneer of aerobic based endurance training. 
for decades. He's coached some of the world's greatest athletes, including my contemporaries that dominated triathlon, Mike Pig and Mark Allen. And he had such a profound influence on my career from following the Maffetone principles and slowing down and taking care of my body and emphasizing aerobic development instead of the overly stressful patterns that I was engaged in when I was a professional triathlete. And I had great success following his principles and have been a devoted adherent ever since. And he makes such great distinctions in his body of work and numerous books that he's written, uh, the distinction between fitness and health. No, they're not the same. And you can trash your health in pursuit of fitness. He has a book titled The Big Book of Endurance Training and Racing, which I think is the most comprehensive of his work. And he talks all about heart rate training. And you'll learn about the maximum aerobic function, the MAF heart rate, that finally, after decades of Phil pounding the drum and discussing how important this is to slow down and emphasize aerobic development and how it's worked for the great endurance athletes in every sport for decades and finally is being acknowledged as important by the masses who by and large have overtrained for years and years. Uh, but we've talked a lot and you can find our past shows, especially on the Primal Endurance podcast, where we get into the details of endurance training. Uh, but this occasion is to discuss Phil's new or uh, career shift into the world of music. And you are not going to believe the incredible starting point for this direct pivot that he had from his immersion into the health and fitness scene and plunging into the music scene. It's absolutely stunning. And I want you to gather around your young, impressionable college students that you can corral to listen to this account where he wakes up one day from a dream and realizes that he is destined to write songs with no experience whatsoever and being a very prominent lecturer, author, speaker on endurance training and racing and fitness uh, with a long career as a chiropractor and hands-on healer. And it's a true story and it leads you to appreciate the power of the cosmic energy of the planet and all this woo-woo stuff that a lot of times we discount, the manifestation of your goals and dreams and the tremendous importance of pursuing your passions and listening to these voices rather than the suppressing, measuring, judging voices of the outside world. So Phil indeed woke up from a dream, decided to become a songwriter, and you will not believe what happened four days later. It will absolutely blow your mind. And it has to do with the number widely regarded as one of the greatest music producers of all time, Mr. Rick Rubin. He and Phil have been tight buddies for a long time because uh, Phil helped Rick improve his health. Uh, now Rick's on the bestseller list with his book, uh, talking about some of the similar concepts about pursuing your passions and tapping in to your creative expression. So we're going to talk about Phil's new book, Be Sharp. But before that, we get to blow your mind with this incredible revelation of the importance of pursuing your passions. And so his book titled Be Sharp, <laughs> what a clever title, it discusses how music influences exercise, heart rate, the autonomic nervous system, and can be used to speed recovery and reduce cardiac stress. And Phil also throws down on some of the crappy music that's out there and how bad music can actually harm your brain and how important it is to scrutinize your choices. And no, he's not a, a cranky old guy who's uh, discounting the value of the hip-hop artistry or the new stuff that often the older generation discounts, uh, but he's really against formulaic pop, formulaic pop music like commercial 
special jingles and stuff on the charts that's plugging into kind of this lowest common denominator music appreciation. So here we hear from a true songwriter, singer, performer, and health expert, the one and only Dr. Phil Maffetone. Please enjoy the show and listen to it again and again, especially if you are wrestling with the importance of pursuing your passions and how to do so. Dr. Phil. Dr. Phil Maffetone, I'm so glad to connect with you. Your name comes up so frequently when we're talking about endurance training and the principles and the widespread acceptance of the math heart rate these days, which is so nice. I'm sure very nice for you to see after decades of trying to present this counterculture message to the hard driving endurance athlete. But uh, this conversation is going to go in a different direction because that's the kind of guy you are. So I want to I want to welcome you and we're going to find out what you're up to. We're going to learn how to be sharp and have all kinds of fun. So glad glad to join you again, Phil. Thanks, Brad. This is a, a pleasure to be with you again. It's been it's been too long, of course, but uh, here we are, and this is always a lot of fun. So I think the uh, your followers probably know that you made this incredible career shift of waking up from a dream one day, was it in 2002 or something like that? And yeah. uh, all of a sudden this health and fitness expert and lifelong uh, healing physician turned to the music world. And uh, that's really fascinating. And I think of interest to a lot of people these days as we have kind of more ability to broaden our horizons and pursue different careers and and dabble in this and that. And here you are with this, uh, you're, you're probably the most unlikely person to do it because you were well-established. You weren't 27, you were older than that, but maybe you can take us through, um, you know, a little, a little backstory of this long career in health and fitness and athletic training and coaching, and then how you stumbled in to the music scene. And then we're going to kind of, uh, merge everything together and talk about the new book and, and carry on. Yeah, it's it's um it, it's a long story which uh, I won't I won't bore you with here but um I I you know the book is sort of a story but um my 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 long health and fitness career was wonderful um but it was going undergoing evolutions all along the way from the beginning um I never stopped changing I never stopped uh expanding into other sports for example i worked in almost all sports and um uh i even worked with racehorses um so waking up one day as a songwriter was um very interesting to say the least and i thought myself that i was changing careers it was such a powerful passion it was an organic act it was unplanned and it just happened. Um, and I, I, um, I just knew right away that the passion was so intense and I had experienced intense passions in the past and, and knew that, you know, you don't ignore them. And so mm -hmm. I realized I can't do this songwriter thing while I'm doing this other health and fitness thing. And um, and so I thought I was 
changing careers actually and and it turned out that i i wasn't not surprisingly to me is that i was just evolving even more than i had been previous and uh now i was getting into music and did come full, full circle on a number of occasions and realized that gee i'm you know i i certainly haven't left the health health and fitness arena i i've just added to it with the music and the brain part was a big part of what I always did. Um, the brain part was always a, a hard sell, um, especially the athletes. Mm. Um, you know, the brain's the most important part of the athlete. And when you say that to athletes, I don't know, some of, they used to get confused. I think they're more aware today of how, um, obviously how important the brain is to sports, every, every aspect of sport. And so if you have a better brain, you're going to be a better athlete. It's really mm. as simple as that. Um, and so, you know, I, I I did my thing, ran off to L.A. to learn songwriting, uh, you know, and I realized I had to be a singer, too. So now I was a singer, songwriter. I realized I had to learn uh, how to navigate through a studio to record my songs so I, I I learned that, and then somebody said, "Hey, you know, a great song is half writing a great song; the other half is performing it in front of people, <laughs> and only then will you know what your song is all about." Hmm. And man, I I mean, I had a I had a very long successful career in lecturing, and I knew how important the connection with your audience was and i i got to the point where i was giving lectures based on yeah i'm gonna kind of talk about this stuff here's the title of the lecture okay i'll kind of stick with that but i'm gonna let the audience guide me because they're here to you know to hear me and i want to talk about what they want to hear and by watching them being being a very uh, visual, you know, my my whole assessment process in sports was based on um, observation. I want to see what this athlete looked like. That tells me more than what the athlete can tell me in terms of, you know, wh what's hurting or what's not working right or um, whatever. And and the music was the same way. I I I, I write about similar stories in the book about. Um, I remember the first time, and I remember the first time in a lecture as well, seeing somebody who was actually listening to me and, and I was capturing this person mm. and I knew I was going to somehow influence that person's, um, health and, and fitness. And the feeling of that is, is beyond description. Mm. Um, and it fortunately happened uh, many times with on the lecture circuit, but mm. in music, um, when it first happened, it was, I mean, I cried. It was, it was, it was, you know, the evolution that just exploded my brain and, um, the things we live for in music. I'm thinking of some opposite occasions that have happened to me when lecturing to a live audience where I look out into quite a large audience and I see one person who's fallen asleep 
and it totally freaks me out and just <laughs> I, I break my concentration i keep zapping over to the sleeping face but you're supposed to uh, uh, you know the advice for public speaking is like lock into even an individual person who looks really uh, you know devoted and it helps you get that energy flowing and get your confidence and I just always break when I see the opposite anyway, as an aside, but I want to go. It's a good, well, for me, it's a good, it's a good thing when I see that because I often in, in the sports, you know, and, and health lectures, I often talk about the symptom of falling asleep during meetings and lectures and falling mm. asleep after lunch in your office as part of carbohydrate intolerance and and I, I learned to do it really carefully in, in a lecture room where there were people falling asleep <laughs> and I would always see them. And I, yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't point to them, but I'd say there's probably a few people falling asleep right now and it wakes them up. Like it's, it's just, it's just, it's just wonderful. Um, <laughs> so that, that's something you could, <laughs> you, you could try that. Yeah. Um, with music, you don't you don't usually have that. Um, mm. It's a much more attentive audience, um, especially you know if you're on the circuit where you're doing conferences um, and people are getting license renewal. Well, they have to get license mm. renewal. They have to go to a conference. Well, this one's convenient. I'm gonna I'm gonna go to that one. Um, you know, and I, I I don't have to pay attention. I just have to sign the sheet every time I go in and out and. It, it's a sad situation, the things that were made to do um, to meet society's needs. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a, <laughs> that's a whole nother world. So take us back to the first time that it hit you in the face that you were to become a songwriter or that you needed to write a song. Where did that, where did that hit you from? Uh, I don't know where it hit me from. I certainly, when I, in my mid-teens, became obsessed with music. Mm. And of course, in the 60s, um, there was good reason to be obsessed with the music because there were albums coming out seemingly every day that were beyond amazing, uh, as you know. Um, and so I became a real intense consumer of music and it it just blossomed uh very quickly from the beginning into all types of music and so um that that was a great thing for my brain it was a very helpful thing for my brain and i knew the power of music and um it continued and i i continued to to you know, to deal with the 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 trash the industry started putting out and the whole all the all the you know the scams about uh, well we're not having vinyl anymore we're going to have mm. you know we're going to have these little cassette tapes and then we're going to have the big cassette tapes and then we're going to have these CDs and then we're you know now we have streaming and um, and the scams keep getting bigger um, and um, but it does make music available to more people. So potentially there's there's great benefit there. So waking up as a songwriter, uh, you know, I tried to play music. I tried to learn 
the guitar and the piano. And I, you know, to graduate the sixties, you had to know three chords on a guitar. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I graduated the sixties and, um, but never, never really could get much beyond that. And I, I kind of gave up and I, I somehow acquired guitars along the way, which is a whole nother story. Um, and, uh, and they would usually spend their lives in my closet somewhere. Once in a while, I'd take them out and play and think I'm going to, you know, now I could play. And then my fingers would hurt so much and I'd be so annoyed. Um, and then waking up that one morning. Um, and it was it was uh, 20 years uh, when I started writing this book. It had been 20 years. My first chapter is called It Was 20 Years Ago Today, in fact. Um, and I woke up not only with the passion to be a songwriter, but having studied Darwin and biology and the animal kingdom, um, I knew all, all animals sang and I knew that all animals sang because they were individuals and they had individual songs. Mm -hmm. And I somehow instantly felt um selfish that I, i'm consuming all this music but i'm mm. not giving anything back and mm. that that just amplified the intensity of this this whole process so you're you're a lifelong enthusiast like many of us with little dabbling here and there probably like like many people but you had meanwhile been building this career as a scientist and a physician and a researcher and so uh, you you literally one day woke up and <laughs> realized how selfish you had been helping athletes train properly and stay healthy while they pursue <laughs> fitness. And then it was time to put pen to paper. And so when that happened, did you um, experience an outpouring of, did you write five songs the first day or how did the process go when you, when you got this burst of energy and inspiration? Uh, no, I didn't. I, I, I started pacing. <laughs> and I write about pacing in the book because it's a wonderful mm. way to get your brain to go into an alpha state. Mm. We, we get these aha moments when we pace quite often. And um, um, I paced for four days and wondered, I, I didn't question ab about being a songwriter. I was a songwriter all of a sudden. I didn't, you know, did you inform anybody of this? Uh... <laughs> not not yet, but I was pacing, trying to figure out, okay, how do I how do I make this transition? And I concluded that I I was gonna quit my career in Ooh. health and fitness. Okay, I, I'm gonna quit my my career. Well, what does a songwriter really do? I mean, I, the the people that I was attracted to most in my musical uh, listening world from the 60s were songwriters, singer-songwriters. Mm. Dylan, the Beatles, you know, uh, Buddy Holly, uh, you know, Joni Mitchell. And so I knew there was something different about singer-songwriters, um, but I still didn't. It was like, okay, 
now what? And on the on the fourth day, uh, this guy named Rick Rubin called me. And he said, I just read uh, one of your books and I want to consult with you. Oh, my gosh, Phil. Are you saying this is random? You didn't have a, a previous relationship with Rick? No, didn't. Oh, my goodness. I wasn't even sure who Rick was. I knew the music <laughs> world. I knew the yeah. songs. I didn't know the 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 uh you know who the record label was. I didn't know the produ- I knew George Martin with with the Beatles because he was such an amazing figure, but I didn't really I didn't know that David Crosby produced Joni Mitchell's first album. You know, I I lived in the country and we didn't have magazines, so I didn't, you know, I just had um a radio mm. and um and I, I started, you know, cutting lawns and raking leaves and shoveling snow to make money to buy an album. Um, so that was all I knew, the music. So I said to Rick, well, I, I don't do that anymore because I just became a songwriter. <laughs> <laughs> uh. And so, and we laughed and we, you know, Rick's a very quiet guy like me. And we ended up talking for a couple of hours and agreed that he would help me with songwriting and I would help him. You would come out of retirement health. to help someone get healthy. <laughs> yes. Well, I'll make an exception, Rick. Um, yeah. Yeah. And as as it would turn out, I would I would leverage my my previous career to be with some really wonderful um singer songwriters. Um because I now I was in L.A. Uh, soon after that conversation with Rick, I went to L.A. and um, um, and Rick's the kind of guy when he when he reads a really good book, he buys a whole big box of them, and he gives mm-hmm. them he out to them. everybody. So so they so you're you got a sales bump on the big book of endurance training and racing or in fitness I, and in health. I, yeah, I did, and uh, but most importantly, when I got there, people knew who I was. I didn't have to try to coax them into you know well here's a you know this is a, this is a way you could eat better and write better music this is a way you know touring musicians are endurance athletes mm, for sure and so if if they're not trained properly um they're not going to tour very well they're not going to play very well um and so um you know, it was a very simple um, connection, the endurance connection, the health connection. I want to be, you know, how how do we write better? Uh, how do we solve this problem of writer's block? You, you, you know, you, you, you develop a better brain, which can be overnight. I mean, it can be very quick. And so all the things I was applying to athletes, I was applying to, to musicians as well. So it's not, you know, it's we're we're talking about the brain, the human brain, whether we're an endurance athlete or a, you know, a, a, a musician. It, it's it's kind of the same thing. It's it's pretty amazing to think about. The, I mean, if if you're not a believer in, uh, you know, the, the forces of energy that are invisible in the world and coincidences and things like that, this is a great story. Especially, I'm thinking of like 
you know, a, a college student audience would love to hear this as they ponder their career choices. And I remember feeling all these outside pressures and uh, wondering, well, that's a bad idea. You know, instead of just honoring my my inspired purpose, as Dr. John D. Martini calls it, to go and do things that you're incredibly interested in and are compelled to try. And those things lead to, for example, a phone call four days later from the leading music producer in in Hollywood uh, calling you out of the blue. It's 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 incredible. And um, if you want to discount Phil's story, people go ahead because you will be locked and and you know disconnected uh, from the forces. And I have not considered myself to be a big believer in this woo-woo type of energy. But the more that you hear stories like yours, you're compelled to sit down and think about that and maybe reflect on your own life and how you know doors have opened for you wherever you've gotten to this point today, listener, probably were some fortuitous doors opening that you know you couldn't have dreamed about or couldn't have replicated with a whole bunch of sweat and hard work. Yeah, and and it, it's a good point, and 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 the the woo woo stuff is sort of, you know, we we have to look at it, and I look at it scientifically, um, in fact, clinically, in fact, I have two two quick stories I'll, I'll share that I put in the book. One is um, uh, that I reference psychologist Carl Jung uh, numerous times in the book and in in this particular case in this in, in this situation Carl Jung would say well we have a creative consciousness mm. creative subconsciousness in fact and songwriting is another example of that we have songs passed down from the very beginning of humanity to us today. And that's a great example of creative subconsciousness or, uh, uh, you know, this, this can, we're all connected, mm. you know, and, and I think people know that and there's nothing psychic or voodoo ish or um, bizarre it might seem that way, but there's nothing strange about Rick calling me. In fact, we could <laughs> we could we could discuss it from a statistical standpoint. What are the odds that Rick would have called me? They're probably pretty good. What are the odds that Rick would have thought you were ridiculous when you said you've retired, you missed me by four days, and now I'm a songwriter? <laughs> <laughs> and he hangs up the phone. <laughs> yeah, right. What is this guy? The other, the other story I want to share is a really important one for, for, for people to hear. Um, and I learned this the hard way, you know, lifetimes ago. Um, when, I, when I do a music in the brain lecture, or if I'm doing a show, um, I'll sometimes, you know, kind of preview a song or preview my performance, depending on how someone introduces me. Um, with um, the story of waking up as a songwriter one day and, you know, leaving my career at the peak of my career and running off to to Los Angeles like a, a kid from the 60s would do at age 17. <laughs> um, um, and I, I talk about it and I see how people in the audience respond. And 
some of them kind of shake their head and they just, you know, and, and finally one day, one of them said, I wish I could do that. Mm. And I said, I said, you mean you wish you could follow your passions? And it was a little harsh, but I, I mm. just, I, I hear that a lot from people, not so much in a live audience com- conversing back and forth, but um, people say, yeah, I, w- I wish I could do that. Mm-hmm. If we don't have passions, it's a problem. Mm-hmm. And if we can't follow our passions, it's a bigger problem. And I mean, the whole, you know, in our society, uh, people are more interested in getting on Facebook and talking about their breakfast than talking about their passions. Mm. Um, and we, we, we don't teach it, you know, in, in w- with homeschooling, it's taught. In fact, s- s- many, many uh, uh, approaches in homeschooling is geared not around an agenda for the kid, mm. but around what is their passion. Yeah, Ben Greenfield and, talks talks about this with his new book, um, and he calls it unschool. I think the term is unschooling, and yes, part of it's yeah. where the kid just decides what they're going to do each day, and then mm-hmm. you know you wrap up at the end of the semester and see if they can read. And it's really, um, it's unfortunately still a fringe part of uh, the whole system, but it's worth thinking about, especially if you have a kid that's not thriving in the front row where you know, maybe 10% of the students school is made for them. And it's, it's, you know, an ideal sailing along into uh, acceptance into numerous prestigious, prestigious schools, and then they go there and thrive and they go into a career. But for the rest of us um, that get labeled and discarded and, and bored and uh, are jumping around too much, it's because it's uh, an industrialized system that it's not a good fit. It's a terrible fit. And, um, you know, you're talking to someone who is a brain injured kid, probably from mm. birth, based on what my mother told me. Sugar water was my first food and probably my my cuisine for, mm. you know, a while until I got um, this white pasty um, baby cereal, which mm. was basically sugar. Mm. And um, and again, I, I woke up. I didn't wake up until my mid teens. I mean, that was a Mm. long, horrible experience. And school was one of the worst situations I was ever in. And, and I, in looking back and in writing this book, uh, there's a lot of autobiographical stuff that I've never written about, never even talked about in public. And it was interesting. Uh, It made me think back. um, And I started having memories about, being in school as a seven-year-old or as a 10-year-old and all the things they would tell my parents when I, I had to go in for a conference with the, uh, the psychologist or the assistant principal and why I was such a bad student. Um, I was meditating. I was going into alpha in class. Mm-hmm. I was looking out the window and I was on autopilot. My, my brain, you know, I was trying to get, I was trying to escape um but i you know now that i've of course i i've got kids but i have grandkids who are all homeschooled wow and and now that they're getting old i'm not but they're getting old and now they're graduating high school after you know their 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 sophomore year and their 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 test scores are 
off the charts and they're getting uh now they're getting uh, uh um accepting uh they're getting um what's it called oh you know they're, when they're admission to college you mean like recruited well, they're and stuff? free admission and they're getting scholarships yeah. and they're getting you know they're getting i mean it's just it's the system works mm. you know and we we could talk to ben about you know his his take on it but it's basically you know we we we're on the same page in that regard so in the book be sharp pretty clever as course what, what would you expect from phil maffetone um <laughs> Maybe you can talk about some of these things you've touched on about how music affects the brain and how we can kind of cultivate a greater enjoyment, appreciation, and, and health benefit from our consumption of music, assuming we're not talking to a lot of music performers, but we all we all enjoy music or hopefully do. Yeah, and, and for for an athlete, this is particularly important. This is important for everyone if you're a human even if you're a mammal but um or, or any other mammal but if you're if you're human um this is this is a big part of our existence and we we of course the brain is naturally oriented to movement movement is is life as athletes know and we want to move we want to move properly and when we don't, we're told through injury or um, illness. And um, so we're hardwired for movement, but we're hardwired for movement because we're hardwired for music. We're born music. We're born singing. Babies respond to music even before birth. Mm. And so um, when we when we hear music, even if we're lying still, we start moving the the mm -hmm. the motor cortex sends messages to the muscles and says com contract now we may be trying to relax and so we may not move our arm or our legs but we are contracting the muscles that do that mm. and so movement coordinated proper movement is such a powerful thing in sports but it's because it's a powerful thing in music. So music is what gives us that connection, the the rhythmic part of the brain. Um, and I hate to talk about brain parts because mm. we have parts of our brains, but that's an academic thing that we use to explain or or teach or learn about the brain. The brain is all one thing. And it's a it's a you know, music is about the only thing that stimulates the whole brain. Oh. And when they talk about music lighting up the brain, they're referring to fMRI studies and other um, high-tech um, evaluations where they could actually see on a screen what music is doing to all these different parts of the brain. And it's the the research is just phenomenal, just phenomenal. And um, so when you, when we listen uh, to music, we often we often make connections between nerves between neurons in the brain and as soon as we make a connection that we've never made before imagine we we can make connections we've never made before by listening to a song 
that's an aha moment. That's an intense alpha state. And what we're, what we're doing is expanding our mind. And it's a, it's an amazing thing. And expanding the mind is not some sixties psychedelic mm-hmm. thing. Um, it's that too. It's all the same thing. We're making connections in the brain we've never made before. So we can hear better, we can see better, we can feel better, we heal up better, we move better, we're a better athlete. And if that sounds a little bit like the the rock opera Tommy, man, I kept thinking about that during the writing of this book because the book is like a long story, Mm. like the rock opera Tommy. And and I'm in it, and I'm trying to get the reader to come in with me. And um, I hope I've done that, but it's um, very much like my other books where I want to explain things, and here's how you, the reader, can individualize this mm-hmm. to help yourself. And I'm doing the same thing, but I'm doing it with music. I'm doing it with movement. I talk about exercise and we can we can touch on the exercise music thing in a minute because it's so many people are hurting themselves with music um Mm. through using it in relation to exercise Um, wow i feel like rick rubin right now because those are the next two questions i was going to ask you is is how we how we you know leverage music to make our exercise better and things to watch out for and i know you have some some harsh commentary on certain types of music that don't that don't uh, don't go well in, in the Phil Maffetone book, and then some others that are. Uh, of course, we have a broad range of tastes and preferences, but I'd love to get into those topics uh, for the exercise yeah, let, audience, especially. Let, let's do that. But but what, in terms of of what does music do for the brain? It it expands our mind. It it mm. gives us a better brain, and it can do that when we listen to oldies and we all have personal oldies uh we all have a song uh we can think about we remember when we think about first falling in love for example or when we first went to college or when we first you know got into high school you know what was the the song uh the big the big hit that day we remember these things we don't remember who was the president or we don't remember you know what you wore or you don't remember a lot of things but you remember the music and so that's a that's a you know imagine going back in time and having that feeling and and being in love for the first time that's what music does to us it, it enables us to time travel back to those times the other thing music can do is it can offer a surprise to the brain, surprise is one of the most powerful things mm. to expand the mind. Mm. If we can be surprised, that's the ultimate aha moment. And we can get surprised simply by listening to a, a new song we've never heard before. And we may not like it, we may love it, but it'll make connections in our brain between neurons that have never been made. And it's another aha moment. So I I recommend if you're a classical pianist for example and that's all you do and that's all you listen to i recommend to help expand your horizons to help expand your personality 
I'd recommend something like listening to Nirvana. Listen to one Nirvana song. And you may say, what is this guy, Maffetone? This is crazy. But you might find that there's much, much more in common with Nirvana than a piano concerto. Hmm. The same notes, there's only a few of them. In fact, studies show that if if we take people who are who really dislike uh, hip hop and rap, or really dislike folk, or dislike classical, and and we show them the 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 basics of hip hop, the basics of classical music, you know, what is this all about? Suddenly, people start liking the genre, hmm. which is very interesting. So the surprise is something that we we want to, and that's what we did in the 60s. And you remember this, you're hearing, you know, so-and-so's album for the first time. Wow, this is amazing. What a way to expand the mind. Um, and there's other other things. Of course, playing music is, is good too. And this is a book for musicians and non-musicians. Mm. We're mm. all really musicians. But <laughs> playing music as minimal as we can or want or if we're a professional musician there's still things we can do to improve i'm so excited to introduce you to paluva this is a new zero drop minimalist shoe with the distinctive five toe design from my main man mark sisson paluvas give you the most authentic barefoot style experience but with sufficient cushioning so you can use them for all manner of daily movement, especially walking and many other fitness and athletic activities. Paluvas are also incredibly stylish, so you get a barefoot shoe that you're not embarrassed to wear around in daily life. It's been so cool to see the popularity of minimalist shoes grow over the recent years, but Paluvas are a step ahead of every other zero-drop wide-box shoe because of the critical feature of individual five-toe articulation, a separate slot for each of your toes. This allows for correct dynamic movement of the foot through the walking or running stride, which is impossible when your toes are encased into a single box, even a wide box. Well, you might know that minimalist shoes have faced controversy in recent years for causing injuries from inappropriate use. So here is the big picture mission. We want to get you walking in paluvas, living in your paluvas, going barefoot in your home or other safe areas as often as possible. Go ahead and use your specialized cushiony running shoes or your basketball shoes, work boots, high heels, things that you want to wear when you want to wear them, but wear your Paluvas as much as possible to reawaken the natural functionality of the human foot to stand, walk, run, and perform. Do you want to try a pair? I'm certain that when you put them on and walk around, you are going to quickly realize that these are the most comfortable, natural shoes that you've ever worn. They are designed to feel like you're, quote, walking barefoot on a putting green. Please visit paluva.com, that's P-E-L-U-V-A, and use the code BRADPODCAST and get 10% off your first pair. Paluvas, let your feet be feet. So, yeah, the, 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 your other question about 
Well, the the one thing I thought about is that as wonderful as music is, music can hurt us. Mm. And for one thing, um, there's an industry, there's a music industry that is the big brother of industries, just like big sugar, big tobacco, uh, big shoe. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, the, these these conglomerates came along and they had human beings behind them that were, you know, trying to sell you things you don't want, can't afford, mm. or will hurt you. Mm. And they're happy doing that. Um, the music industry is the same thing. And we can go back to the monkeys in the early 1960s. You know, the, the industry said, hey, these Beatles over there in England, they're 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 doing pretty well. Let's let's hire some actors and call Knock them a group. And, yeah. And yeah, and we'll um and then you had the AM FM radio clash, you know, mm. the bubblegum music and the singer-songwriter music. And um and so and then you had of course elevator music. Mm. Uh you had you had advertising jingles musically because researchers have shown us that we get earworms and we can't stop thinking about this mm. horrible jingle. Mm. So and that's a works. way of, they work. That's an example of a harmful impact of music. I strongly agree because I, I can't stand when, um, you know, there's a brand associated with some stupid jingle and I still remember it years later. It's like the, or, or the, um, you know, yes. the introduction to the Brady Bunch, which, oh, isn't that cute? We all grew up on the Brady Bunch. Well, it's not that cute now because there was so much, uh, you know, sexism, prejudicial imagery and, you know, dated, you know, uh, uh, values that were programmed into our brain. And um, yep. I can still sing the song with all the words. It it, it makes me feel bad yeah. that, you know, I was I was programmed in that manner. And I think you also have some harsh commentary about the formulaic music of today, which is generally a lot of the pop charts are, are I guess now I'm going to tee you up, but like they're plugging into some um, melody that we're already familiar with. And so we're going to, we're going to love it or something like that. What, what's the, what are the damaging effects? It's fake, of it's fake music. music. Um, it, it's, <laughs> it's music by committee. I mean, I, I, mm. I had an experience early in my songwriting career with, with a, a, a big company that, you know, liked some of my songs and I talked about, you know, coming on board as, you know, they had a songwriting division. Mm. Okay. Could I, you know, would you hire me? You like my songs? Would you hire me? Well, they didn't want to hire me because my songs were already in my head. That was what was coming out. And for them, songwriting was, okay, it's Monday, everybody, listen up. We need a song for Susie B. And uh, here are the words you want to use. Here are the mm. words you want to avoid. Here's the melodic range. Here's the key. Uh, make sure you get to the chorus in a minute and 36 seconds. And Phil, you and Bob and Jenny go into conference room B. And by the end of the day, have a song. And then we'll talk about it in the morning, nine to five job hour off for lunch. You know, this is the this is the top hundred hot hits of the day. Mm. There are a few singer songwriters in there that make it to those top hundred hits. But for the most part, they're they're industry um, songs. 
And they <laughs> happen to have the young girl and the young boy, these cute kids that they're they're the next big thing. Mm. And as soon as they stop being a big thing based on consumer surveys, mm. they get rid of them and they hire a new young boy, young girl, and you know, and and write songs for them. They don't even have to sing because the computers do all the work. And that's another one of the unhealthy aspects of music is artificial intelligence. Mm. We are using artificial intelligence to create songs. It's really sad. Now, you could say when the digital world exploded, because we were able to mix music in the studio, we're able to... Um, uh, do things that we couldn't do before with tape. Um, that was sort of the beginning of artificial intelligence for music. But the artificial, the AI world is a very scary place. And the AI people know that. And there's been calls for limiting the progression of, you know, how, how far are we going to go with this AI? Um, and, and, when is it going to hurt us too much or and will it be too late when that happens yeah i guess the idea or your description of a formulaic pop song created in the conference room uh reminds me of a crappy hollywood romantic comedy which you know we're, we're so familiar with the hollywood formula we can even identify it on screen realizing that the first act usually takes around 30 minutes the second one takes 60 there's an inflection point in the middle of that and then the third act is a resolution that also takes 30 the hero has problems and he overcomes them and uh, gets love in the end after some tension in the relationship and uh you, you know, could be a hollywood i mean you'd be great yeah, That's I, the formula. I, I was fascinated about screenwriting and learned a lot about it many years ago. And it was, you know, a real shocker to realize that every movie I'd seen in, in you know, the mainstream genres was following this three act formula with this, you know, arcing of the characters and stuff. And we know that it works and it draws us in. And that's why the animated movies are the, you know, the biggest box office because they just plug right into uh, the poor overlooked uh, a kid in the group of kids and we all relate <laughs> and identify. And I don't think that's inherently, um, you know, destructive. And I would, I would ask you, like, where is the cutoff point where if, um, you know, I, I take the... Uh, the seven teenage girls to the Katy Perry concert for the birthday celebration, and they all have a great time and come home with memorabilia. Um, you could consider that a positive experience. And some of the most of the lyrics are uplifting and and all those kind of positive attributes. Otherwise, it wouldn't be number one on the pop charts. But where's that cutoff point where we can second guess and go, hey, we're just getting programmed with stupid commercial jingles that have spilled over into stupid pop star jingles that are designed to lure us in, uh, get the music purchased, and also buy the uh, the peripherals? Well, the cutoff point is, <laughs> uh, is, is when does this music hurt the brain or does mm -hmm. this music hurt the brain or is the cutoff point when music hurts the brain, which mm -hmm. is what I talk about in the book. There are things mm -hmm. that hurt the brain. Um, you know, it's 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 as simple as that. And also the cutoff point is when do we stop expanding our mind? Mm. It's, you know, we often hear, you know, when we get to be 20 and we're, 
or whenever we graduate high school, we graduate college and we get into the, uh, you know, the workforce We and we stop learning. And we, in other words, we stop expanding our mind. We have the ability to expand our mind until the day we die. And if we do that, we keep getting a better and better brain and a healthier brain. So when we stop expanding our mind, we could call that a brain injury. Mm -hmm. It's like in sports, when we stop getting better, if we hit a plateau, that's an abnormality. That means <laughs> something, that's a big red flag. Something's wrong. Hello. You know, whether you're doing an MAF test or whether you're comparing your, your race results, um, when you stop making progress, something is wrong. And that um, that that could be classified as an injury. And in this case with music, it's a brain injury. And brain injuries, um, by definition, and in the book I expanded and talk about brain injuries as a um, as a spectrum, we can have very minor brain injuries or very serious brain injuries like amusia, where people mm. have a diagnosed condition that's a very anti-music condition. And you think you had that for a while? Oh, I had that. I had that for years up wow. until my mid-teens. Yeah. Um, so an, an example of, a, of a, a minor injury that I talk about in the book, brain injury, is people who can't hear lyrics in a mm. song. Very common. Fairly common. Um, and 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 it was really one of the first things for me that I discovered about myself. A that I I I couldn't hear lyrics. And I was embarrassed. I had to ask other people about, mm. you know, what were these songs about? And and one day I saved up enough money to buy the Sgt. Pepper's album. With the lyrics, and on the they jacket. were the first. It was the first album to have the lyrics yeah. on the back of the album, because you you know the albums back then were big. They were works of art. I mean, they were incredible, and this had all the lyrics to all the songs. And so I thought, oh, that's cool, and I put it on, and I'm I'm kind of looking at the lyrics, and I was just, I was amazed. I was so amazed. I listened to the whole album, read the the lyrics to the whole album and I turned the album over and played it again and read the thing and I did that over the next few days several times and I noticed obviously to me I noticed I could hear lyrics in other songs now Oof. even on transistor radios <laughs> there's little oh that's interesting I mean things. I have I have quite a hard time deciphering lyrics from many of my favorite artists and then i really enjoy the chance to go look them up on the internet because when we were kids we would argue over what elo was saying when they talked really quickly during turn to stone and we'd you know we, we'd challenge each other because i thought i heard something and you could never find the answer back then <laughs> and so you just had to think it was something else and then you know two decades later i realized oh that's what they're saying there when they're talking quickly but um, yeah yeah i i had I had well, so 
to fix this problem in yourself, you can go online and look at the lyrics and then mm -hmm. listen to the music. Oh, I memorize and, them and then I, I recite the rap songs to the delight of everyone I'm traveling with in the car. Yeah. Oh, yes, that's but but it's it's not that we're we're fixing a problem that now enables us to hear lyrics in the song. That's nice to do, but it fixes a lot of other brain issues. It makes connections you've never made in all the areas in the brain around the functions that enable the brain to distinguish between um, the 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 lyrical meaning. Uh, the audio, the audible meaning, and all the other sounds you're hearing, mm. uh, all the areas around that part of the brain are going to be influenced as well, because that's mm. how the brain works. You 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 stimulate one area, and the blood flow goes in. It affects areas um, surrounding it, and so um, that's important. I I remember um, hearing James Taylor's um, "Sweet Baby James." Uh, and I swore he he was saying beet greens and blues are the colors I choose. And I thought, oh, that's cool. He's he's a cool guy. Um, he he eats beet greens because now I was into mm. nutrition. Mm. Um, and I thought, oh, he's into nutrition, too. And I'd seen him a year before, before the album came out in some obscure bar in Philadelphia some some this guy and i said come hitchhike down from new york and it's it's expensive it's five dollars and mm. we go in and it's like this you know 150 mm. people crammed into this bar and we're sitting there and wait and then and this guy this big tall guy with long hair comes out holding two guitars he gets up on this little you know platform of a stage puts a guitar down sits down plays for two hours you know, switching guitars, doesn't look at anybody, doesn't say anything. Mm. And he finishes his last song, gets up and leaves. And I, I just thought, wow, that's really cool. By now I was really getting into music. And um, and it was like a, a few months later when the album came out and I thought, wow, that's the guy I saw in Philadelphia. But but these, you know, these these brain injuries are important because they affect us physically, biochemically, and mental, emotionally, in many many ways, and um, and we want, you know, our brain is very different than the body. Our brain can keep expanding, can keep working, working better and better, until the day we die. Obviously, our body can't do that. And is this a scientifically validated contention? Because we often sure hear is. everything starts to go and, oh, gee, I'm forgetting all these facts now at this age. And I can't remember the shows, the name of the show I watched last night. I must be getting old. And you're right. Um, you hear you know, that. We disparage all... that all the time. Yeah. Um, the problem is we confuse common with normal. Mm. This mm -hmm. is common because the average person has that common problem. They're losing their mind. Literally, they're losing their mind. They're losing their brain's ability to make connections. And so the memory starts to fade. They're losing their ability to expand their mind. So they have no reason to remember anything. Um, I, I, could, I could tell you without a doubt 
that my brain works better today than it's ever worked in my life. Mm. And it's, I, I am, it's scary sometimes. Literally, it's scary sometimes. The things that I remember, the things that I could figure out, mm. um, the 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 logic of life. You know, the a lot of my music is uh, it's storytelling, it's social justice, love songs, um, but it's philosophy. It's it's about all the things we should be doing as human beings. And as a result, I say right from the start that this book is going to help you be a better person, but it's going to help you in society and it could even save the planet. Because when we think about ruining the planet, mm. we think about all the games the politicians play, like calling it climate change or calling it this. Or it, The problem is our brains. We're all we're all one big family as gandhi said we're all cousins as i said in my song kissing cousins we're all cousins and let's kiss and make up mm. and 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 you know just just stop all this crap mm -hmm. because if if we want to save our society if we want to save humanity if we want to save the planet Having a healthy brain is the first step, and things are not going that way. We need to bring more nourishing music into the mix. And speaking of that, you know, we, we've heard these genres criticized routinely. The older generation will, you know, disparage heavy metal music for decades because it's uh, so harmful to your brain. And even the uh, criticism against, let's say, the hip hop artists where there's some mis misogynistic themes and things like that. So I wonder what your commentary is where an artist is expressing themselves freely they're representing their 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 plight and their condition, and some of the lyrics can be deemed offensive by uh, mainstream cultural standards. Is this uh, a potentially healthy exercise to indulge in this type of music that could be called controversial? I guess you could say. We got to burn all the books. You know, I mean, you remember the the you know the 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 image of that. DJ in Alabama somewhere mm. where he was breaking the rock and mm. roll. We're not playing rock and roll on this station. Um, then the sales go up for the artist dramatically when yes, they get that type yes. of attention. Yes, but it's a it's a liberty thing, you know. Music is a liberty. I want my liberty. Give me liberty or give me death. Give me liberty, and in the form of music or books or arts, the arts in general, the arts are always getting squashed and, <laughs> and kept back and, um, and, and impaired because we don't want our children to see a Picasso painting. Oh dear. How could they, you know, it's, it's, it's sad. Um, and music of course is a way to, tell the stories that the media will not tell or that the politicians will mm. not tell. I mean, just look mm. at what it did in the 60s. It was a huge revolution of musical change, but it was a revolution of social change. They often go together. The French Revolution and the music and the... 
so forth. So, I mean, if we don't want to burn books, you know, if we don't want to, um, if we want to restrict music, if we want to restrict artwork, um, that's very anti-human. Mm -hmm. Look at the artwork on the cave paintings. I mean, should we black that out, black certain things out with, you know, with mm. magic marker? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone's uh, brought up that example. Very interesting. Oh, give right. it time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, on the other hand, beware of this um, formulaic approach that is praying to the lowest common denominator, I suppose. And maybe the uh, the lyrics don't have that social significance that you value so highly with your own songwriting and, and so many other artists do, true artists. Well, it didn't come out, you know? I mean, I write songs like most songwriters. It just flows out. We're in a, mm. it's a state of meditation. Mm. It just it just flows out. And and that's exactly how all the other animals sing, whales and mice and um everyone, including songbirds. And um two things before we get off on too many tangents. I want to come back to the exercise. Mm -hmm. um, dangers of music related thing. and but the songbirds I mentioned so here's where we're at today if we look at the studies done on songbirds what they've shown scientists is that uh, songbirds that are on the way to extinction have a very interesting thing happening to them they're losing their music their songs are deteriorating. And if you look at the studies, there's, um, um, you know, melodic line and frequency of, you know, all, all kinds of musical impairments. If you look at human music, and there's studies done on human music in very similar ways, human music since the 70s has undergone the same changes as the songbird going extinct. Now, is that coincidence? Uh, we don't believe in coincidence. Uh, is that meaningful? It sure is meaningful. Look at look at what's going on in the world. Mm. Um, so the 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 music that is coming out of a of an individual human is a is an expression of his or her personality. And for those of us who write a lot of songs, we have a lot of expressions of many personalities, as Carl Jung would say, mm. art is an expression of our multiple person. We all have multiple personalities. Normally, that's not mental illness. That's normal. We're all different people. We know that. We're 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 fathers and uh sons and uh and and partners and teachers and uh you know we can just um it's endless we can list all of our um our doings which all have different personalities um and songwriting is an expression of that and i was always fascinated with the media and bob dylan from the beginning mm -hmm. and the, it was it was comic 
It was like the Beatles. They treated it in a different way than Dylan. The Beatles just goofed on the media. But Dylan, you know, he, he made things worse. Like, what does this what does this song mean? What does this lyric mean? And sometimes he'd say, I don't know. I don't know what I write sometimes mm. until years later when I say, oh, that's what that song's about. I um, thought he was being a wise guy, but he was yeah, telling the truth. Yeah. If you want to know about Bob Dylan, listen to his music. It's mm. all there. Mm. And the same with me. You know, if you want to know about me, what am I like? What, you know, what makes me tick? It's all there. Uh, and we can get some good interactions at is it philmaffetone.com we can click over to your music library no that's the health and fitness part the the okay, music so we go uh, there to get our supplements and yeah, get some great music, blog articles uh, the music my music website which has uh links to my music video youtube video is maffetone music.com mm -hmm. okay, and all so my music is free on there mm -hmm. um i'd rather you go there and listen than to the um the streaming so, sites where I do make money, but I'd prefer you not to pay me a penny for an album mm. or half a penny. Mm. Uh, and I'd rather you listen free. Um, so, so the, the, the exercise mm. connection here. Yeah. Um, why, why when we go in the gym, is there this blaring hardcore high intensity rhythmic music get pumped up on. man get psyched and up why to lift when we weights. when we're coming into the the you know the the the, the finish area of a race is the, the same obnoxious music yeah. some of it's good but a lot of it is canned the phony the phony stuff um because research shows that this driving music revs us up it makes us perform better, better being described as it makes us run faster. Mm -hmm. It raises our heart rate. It helps our brain cover up the pain. Mm. Does that sound like something that I would recommend? Yeah, Certainly it's a, not. It's a, I mean, it's a, it's a recipe for overtraining. Right. It's, it's something that you can leverage on race day and have that festive atmosphere where you're crossing the finish line to your favorite song is great. But uh, I feel the same where in day-to-day in -day life, I want to remove those influences that, that jack up my fight or flight hormones because I want to, you know, I want to adapt gracefully to whatever level of fatigue I'm experiencing now. And, um, it's, yeah, it's like a trick. It's like, um, you know, having, having some caffeine, cranking up the heavy metal well, music the, the, and pedaling the, off. Yeah. The scientists who do these studies have said, you know, music is like a legal, a legal um, steroid, mm. and, you know, performance enhancing steroid. Um, and, and is that okay? Do, should we do that? Well, I've, I've always recommended people not listen to music when they exercise, when they mm -hmm. train. Um, and that they listen to their body instead, because we have this amazing brain. It's always sending out messages to the body and it's always getting messages back from the body. And when it gets messages back, it's analyzing what that means, 
oh, I'm going to contract a few more fibers uh, on this on this um, sartorius muscle because the knee joint is slightly off, and I'm going to, you know, and that's a moment to moment thing. There are million, there are billions of, you know, these messages that go back and forth, and the brain is adjusting the way we 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 run or bike, and it wants us to be the most efficient. Uh, as possible because that's what gives us better performance, whether it's mm-hmm. training or racing. And if we have music, if we're listening to music, a lot of that goes away, especially if it's driving music um, where we're, 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 you know, where we don't, we can't get up for a workout because we're so tired or we're so burned that we're, you know, we're, we're overtrained. We're, We've lost our enthusiasm um, because of our diet or whatever. You know, we need music now to to rev us up. It's like injecting caffeine. You know, I don't want people doing that either. Um, so, so uh, I I do recommend that people use music before they work out mm. because it can be very very helpful, and especially after a workout, it can help you recover. Recovery mm. is where it's at with training mm-hmm. you could do whatever you want in in the in the training in the actual workout but mm-hmm. when it comes to recovery you need to recover as best as possible to benefit from the training and one of the ways of doing that is controlling the autonomic nervous system balance your sympathetic and parasympathetics control your stress hormones and otherwise you don't recover so after a workout sitting down and listening to an album or or even mm. one song one simple song i have something mm-hmm. called the five minute power break mm. where you just listen to something for five minutes you close your eyes five minutes if you don't have five minutes you're in trouble cut your workout by five minutes yes <laughs> yeah Kelly starrett wants us to spend 15 minutes of every workout hour doing mobility flexibility prehabilitation right now now dr phil wants us to put five minutes in afterward to 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 wind down with the song now i suppose would the genre matter for a recovery type experience after a strenuous workout it 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 usually does um but it it first and foremost should be something you like something Mm -hmm. you enjoy something you really can close your eyes and meditate on go into Mm -hmm. alpha you're mm-hmm. talking about five minutes. Your brain has the ability to go deep into meditation and even reach theta, which is hard to do mm-hmm. uh, without music. Mm. Um, kids do it all the time, children, but mm. but adults, um, you know, in 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 meditation classes, sometimes that's what they're trying to do. And some people, all they can hear is, "Well, let's see, I, I got to go. I got to go shop on the way home." Let's, mm. You know, we we need to get out of that beta state. Mm. and learn to be an alpha more and that's what music does it gets us into alpha and literally in five minutes after a workout we are deep in recovery Mm -hmm. so that's that's where it can be very helpful just think about um any sport i mean think about i i use the um i use a number of examples in the book but one is a baseball player baseball players in the locker room getting psyched up for the game. He's got earbuds in, he's got his music on and he's bopping around and 
Uh, now the game's starting, and now he's coming to bat. And as he comes out of the dugout, the loudspeaker announces his name, and he has a special song that's blared mm -hmm. out. And he's walking up to the plate, and as he steps closer, his favorite song stops. And now he can't hear anything. He doesn't hear the crowd. He's on autopilot. And he doesn't have to think about how he's going to hit this fastball. He already knows. He just has to go into this alpha state mm. and let his brain do all the work. Tell the body what to do. We do it all the time. Mm -hmm. It's not just race car drivers, but every time we drive, we go into autopilot. Mm -hmm. We don't think about, let's see, I'm going to step on the gas now. Oh, maybe I should use this foot for my brake. Um, oh, I have a mirror. Oh, I'm going to look at this mirror too. Yeah, I'm going to look. You know, we've already gone through that intentional focus. Mm -hmm. Our brain has an intentional focus mode. When we're learning, that's what we're doing. Mm -hmm. We're trying to feel like playing the guitar or typing. Oh, let's see the A. Where was the O? Oh, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. But once we, once we learned it once that intentional focus has done its job we go into autopilot and we just type we don't think and, and people are not we... going into autopilot that's why texting is so dangerous in a car because it, mm. it takes us out of alpha out of that mm. autopilot state and it puts us into intentional focus now we're we're in trouble mm. So we want to be in that that flow like state where we're relying on our we don't want to wait instinct. yes yeah and we don't want to wait be you know to go to a meditation class or to to get home and get into a yoga position we want to get into that alpha state whenever we have a spare moment mm. whether we're waiting <laughs> online at the grocery store yeah or um uh or 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 you know coming back from a, a, a workout mm. uh, where we're sort of sitting, you know, or standing around the car, just sort of looking at the trees, you know, mm -hmm. we're not going to go into alpha uh, and we can go as deep into alpha as deep into a meditative state as sitting in a Lotus position for an hour. Mm. Um, and, and if we do that all day, we've now gone into alpha a lot. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing better for the brain than going into alpha mm. and because it reduces stress hormones, it expands the mind and makes connections we've never made. We think mm. of things, those aha moments that we come up with. Mm -hmm. They're almost always in alpha. Yeah, I love in the book, you you give a brief description to get people up to speed with the various brain states and then go into tremendous detail and also helping us learn how music can uh, get us in engaged in these in these healthy brain states so be sharp everybody go get the book we're going to connect with you at maffetone music to, to listen to your music at philmaffetone.com to get the great blog articles and the supplements so um, I, I encourage everyone listening to to jump in there and uh, get this interesting new book thanks so much for taking the time phil's very very interesting discussion as always thanks brad i appreciate it phil maffetone everybody Dun, 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 dun. 
I'm pleased to present B-Rad Grass-Fed Whey Protein Isolate Superfuel, the absolute highest quality all-natural protein supplement infused with creatine that delivers everything you need to optimize your appetite for fat loss, recover quickly from workouts, and build and maintain lean muscle mass, the single most important attribute for aging gracefully. Our protein comes directly from small family farms in America's dairy land of Wisconsin. It's cold processed and micro filtered for maximum bioavailability and digestibility. So please don't mess with the many cheap commodity protein supplements that are ineffective, inferior, less pure, and often contain junk sweeteners, especially the plant-based offerings that are vastly less bioavailable than the gold standard of protein supplements that's whey protein isolate. Whether you're in your peak athletic years looking to grow and recover or in the older age groups trying to delay aging and decline, whey and creatine are widely agreed to be the most critical and effective supplements to take for the rest of your life. You can easily stir the superfuel in water or make a delicious smoothie every day. I'm certain that you're going to love the pleasant, light, natural vanilla bean and cocoa bean flavors. So try some on Amazon today. It's a huge hit with dozens of five-star reviews. Or you can order direct from bradnutrition.com with our buy three, get one free, and make the super fuel a centerpiece of your daily routine. Thank you so much for listening to the BRAD podcast. We appreciate all feedback and suggestions. Email podcast at bradventures.com and visit bradkerns.com to download five free ebooks and learn some great long cuts to a longer life, how to optimize testosterone naturally, become a dark chocolate connoisseur, and transition to a barefoot and minimalist shoe lifestyle.